Delivering all the news, the informed views, and just telling great motorsport stories since 2003. Powered by the Racetalk.com. This is On the Grid. G'day, everyone. You are On the Grid here on mypodcasthouse.com or on the Radio Show Limited's network of channels and RS1. Hope you're having a good time. Uh, Richard Crail here. Tony Shebecki and Mark Walker to come a little bit later on. In what is Le Mans week? The 24 Hours of Le Mans is back and it's going to be a massive race. And this week, a lot of our show is dedicated to previewing that. More to come, but to kick off the show, we thought we'd start with an Aussie journo and broadcaster who's been there and experienced the -the around-the-clock epic. From Rusty's Garage, we're speaking to Greg Rust. You're listening to the latest from around the motorsport world. On the grid. I had been wanting to do it for years because my buddy Lee Diffie and a producer I'd worked with for many years, Tim Jardine, made some docos there in the in the late 90s for Channel 10. They were there when Mark Webber flipped in that, that very difficult year for Mercedes-Benz, for example. But it took me until 2015 to get there. And I was kind of semi-guest of the Webbers. And I was also there uh, for carsales.com.au as a part of the, the Nissan um, uh contingent so i got to be in the pit garage uh with the gtr lm nismo you remember the front wheel drive car and fellow aussie paul ryan was um involved in that in that project and nissan did it unbelievably well so for me it was um a race i'd always wanted to go to and it was like eyes wide open i I don't think i slept for 27 odd hours um in the middle of the night they took us across to Indianapolis, you know, through the forest so you could watch them coming through there. Um, this is at the phase where I was able to see the 919 for the very first time and and they were like Scale Electric's cars. They were like slot cars. They were unbelievable to watch. Um, got to do some very other cool things. I, I love the movie Le Mans with Steve McQueen. That, that is a, a real personal favourite of mine. Um, for all its lack of dialogue, I got to sit in the restaurant on Mulsanne Strait and have a pretty ordinary steak and be right beside the cars as they as they came by. So I, I got for a first time a, the full experience. And we were there with a couple of other journos, Gordon Lomas from Speed Cafe at the time, um, and more, and, and treated Richard um, a helicopter ride over the circuit so you could see the cars and... Um, just blew me away how how many people you know pre-pandemic go there and and uh, make a real um thing of it a real whole heaps of brits and you know a couple of hundred thousand people and just an amazing amazing atmosphere it it is a must do for any um aussie that's that, that properly loves their motorsport the event seems to have a unique appeal to Aussies in particular. Do you have any sort of thought about why that might be and why it's so special, not just from a racing car driver point of view, but for you and I, for journos, for broadcasters, and then for fans to travel all that way to go and see that race? I think it's a couple of things. Firstly, the history of the race. I never did history in high school. I wish I did. And I... I have admired and learnt a lot on that side um, on, on motor racing. It's such an historically significant place in in motorsport. The great Aussies that you're talking about here that have come through and raced there um, to to finally go there and and see that place. And and I think by nature um, we are 
uh, are gritty sports people, aren't we? We never, we never give up. I mean, this is the ultimate test of grit and endurance. Um, and, and, you know, for me, I was whinging about being a, awake for, <laughs> for more than 24 <laughs> hours. It's nothing compared to being a, a competitor or a team member and, and, and what goes into it um, on that day slash night um and let alone in the in the build-up mate it's just an it's an awesome thing to go and see do you have a favorite lamore memory whether it's from your trip or from watching the race as a fan covering it as a journalist a broadcaster over the years is there something that pops in your mind that you go yeah that was an incredible moment in sport and it doesn't have to be aussie related um i got to cover it once for network 10 but i felt very removed from it because it was just you were just sort of hosting the the feed coming through so that's why it was so much better to actually go there and and be a part of it i think the years that my buddy lee diffie and and timmy jardine and and i think even john smales was there at at, uh, one if not more of them rich um you know there were so many manufacturers then um you know some great battles and it was in the emerging period of i mean we saw the toyota in that that phase and then you know what came after that with with audi and and what i got to see with porsche i mean just the the um immensely powerful um intoxicatingly brutal race cars that they handled somehow around that place and then to think that it's 13 odd k's long um it's hard to hard to you know, say one, um, you know, I think of Vern Schupen and the Porsche, um, all sorts of things, mate, yeah, that, that come to mind. And you mentioned Lee Diffie, who got to call David Brabham winning the race for Peugeot in 2009, which is a cool moment. And it it strikes me as one of those events that, as a broadcaster, you look at and go, oh, I'd love to have an opportunity at that race one day to call it and to have a crack at it. It's, it's sort of a, a bucket list thing, isn't it? That lucky maniac has done the, <laughs> done the triple crown that you and I sort of mm. admire from a, a race driver perspective. He's got to do it from a commentary perspective. So to be on the ground for Monaco, uh, to call Le Mans for many years at um, the venue, and he did a super job with that. And now what he's doing at Indy 500 and, and with the IndyCar Championship um, has sort of uh, completed that that circle. So, um, yeah, to see Aussies succeeding um at that event not just in uh, behind the wheel of a race car i reckon's immense and finally what would you tell australians who are perhaps on the fence uh going oh do you know i'd like to go to Le Mans, but i'd also like to do monaco or indy what what would you tell them to go and sway them perhaps towards going to the 24 hour what, what would be the unique selling point that you go yes this is something you have to do the great example I could give you is my buddy Trevor Long, who is the gadget guy on the Today Show, and he loves his motor racing, but he probably would be the first to tell you that he's not a total guru, but he has followed it for many, many years. And he went there well before me. It was like a post-high school trip that he just had to go and do. And I think he went on went to the British Grand Prix along the way and so on. And he, to this day, raves about it. So, you know, even if you're not a a motor racing aficionado, but but you love it, you must go. It's it's like it's like us and and why we love Bathurst. There are a handful of events and places around the world that are special and significant for different reasons. And and Le Mans, for all the stuff we've talked about from its from its history and and more, um, for me it is a bucket list. Rich, you, you need to to go and do it. See the cars. See them at night. 
at the iconic parts of the circuit, go around to as many of them as you um, as you can and and um, understand and appreciate why this is a you know one of the ultimate quests of endurance in a motor racing sense. As always, we appreciate your insight. Thanks for joining us. Pleasure. Thank you, mate. There's more great motorsport stories coming next on The Grid. All right. Joining me for a chat, as they always do at the end of the program, Richard Crowell, Mark Walker. Hello, boys. Gentlemen and the listener, how are you? Tony Shebecki, Richard Crowell. <laughs> Mark. This has gone well. That's a good <laughs> start. You, you, mm. You're supposed to introduce one of us at a time. Yeah, I, oh, well, and I, I completely apologise because normally I would have introduced Richard by now, but I haven't had a chance to talk to him. He's been busy gas bagging to all of our special guests. Well done, mate. Nice. Uh, yeah, no, no. I was trying to catch on where you were going there, but uh, yes, I was uh, in the lead up to the Le Mans 24-hour uh, we are producing a special, a 70-minute. Now, what's a documentary called when it's a podcast? Is it still a documentary a, or a is podumentary. it a podumentary? Or I don't know. Either way, it's a special episode of On The Grid uh, that will air on Radio Le Mans uh, after Hyperpole qualifying on Friday morning our time. You can find that full TV guide on Reliably Informed on theracetalk.com. Uh, and it basically catalogues every Australian, all 40 Australians who have raced in the 24 hours of Le Mans. So uh, we've put that together for our friends over there at uh, Radio Le Mans that will air during their coverage this weekend of the uh, the 24 hour race, which is very, very cool. So looking forward to telling those stories and piecing it together. So you'll hear from Matt Campbell a bit later on in this show. That interview will also be part of this special. But um, the the feature, I suppose, is... Uh, I was fortunate enough to sit down and have a, a long conversation with Tim Schenken about his sports car journey. And while Tim made it to Formula One, his sports car adventures were remarkable. One at the Nürburgring, he won at, you know, incredible racetracks in top-level racing. He was a factory Ferrari driver at the Le Mans 24-hour with Clay Regazzoni as his co-driver. So he tells some amazing stories, uh, but to listen to it, you'll need to hear... Uh, Aussies at Le Mans. That will also go live via the Race Talk and uh, the My Podcast House uh, Wooshka channels as always. So wherever you Excellent. get your Spotify, you know, Apple, all that, it will be live there on Friday. And the great thing about it is I'm, I'm wrapped that I got involved with it because I've had all these stories about Tony Gaze and Lex Davis into my head and it was just good to be able to tell them finally. Yeah, right. Yeah. How'd you go <laughs> scripting notes, Lex? Was that work all right for it you? It took a little or? bit of time to write it all down but yeah 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 some amazing stories though the tony gaze is well, well the, the marriage to the marriage to lex's wife it's an amazing not yeah. coincidence isn't the word i'm looking for but just the way that that all happened and tied in together is just fantastic well we, we talk about the davison dynasty but imagine you know you you will and alex and james you grant you've got two grandfathers yeah. one step one real who are the greatest, you know, the first four-time winner of the Australian Grand Prix, um, one of the, the goats of our sport in Lex, and Tony Gaze, the guy who gave Lord March the idea to make Goodwood. <laughs> like, it's pretty <laughs> remarkable, Crazy. isn't it? Like, yeah. Anyway, you'll be able to hear all those stories and more uh, in a special edition of On The Grid, Aussies at Le Mans later this week. Are you a big Le Mans man, Mark? I think I am this year because uh, I'll be at Richard Crail's house and I've been promised that all screens oh, in the house nice. will be 24 hours of Lamar all everywhere. So I, I can't miss it. Can't wait. 
Well, I've been, you know, I do the occasional little bit of work for Stan Sport this year as part of our Speed Series coverage, and mm-hmm. the race is live and ad break free and on demand on Stan. This is a completely unpaid advertisement, by the way, but it should be though. Which no, well, it should be, but anyway, I don't think we got around to uh, to ringing them and asking the question, did we? Um, yeah, I feel like it's something that needs to be on. It's a classic but, race. We got Aussies just, in the fight. Yeah, so, for sure. Brilliant. It's one of those things that it just sucks you in, doesn't it? You mm. you start watching it in the morning. Normally in Australia, you wake up early and you all right. We've got a bit of uh, car racing, on. and that's your day gone. It's all over Red Rover. So uh, looking forward to it. And it's that sort of deal where it's going to go down the wire. You don't know what's going to happen. You know, we've seen it in so many races uh, lately on these shores. Yeah. You know, you just get sucked in, like we saw with the twelve hour. You had no idea what was going to happen right to the end. So. Uh, very much looking forward to it and be very interesting to see how our little friend Shane Van Gisbergen goes uh, in his class there, because that's going to be a pretty feisty little battle. He's got a good uh, team around him there at Riley Motorsports, but there's some staunch competition from the Corvettes and the Porsches as well. And there's Aussies or Kiwis in all four classes. So Ryan Briscoe's in the outright class in the Glickenhaus. Um, there's Aussies in LMP2, James Allen's in there, uh, then GTE Pro, of course, you mentioned Shane and, and our boy Matty Campbell and Nick Cassidy in GTE-AM, uh, which is hugely competitive. Mm. But it's it's the last Le Mans of a generation because next year it goes large with all of the brands coming into sports car racing with a new yeah. set of rules in the States and in Europe. So. Um, there's probably a point to prove and, and an opportunity for Glickenhaus or the Alpine guys to win against the Toyotas before Porsche come back and BMW are coming in and all these Ferrari coming back soon as well. So all these brands have been announced to join the sports car world. It's going to be really, really competitive. In your books, what's the chances of a Toyota upset? Oh, of them being beaten? Yeah. Um, oh, reasonable, I would have thought. Um like there's only five hypercars in the field. So if you have one of those crazy races where there's some rain or something like that, like an LMP2 car could win. And the other thing is the LMP2 cars aren't that much slower mm. because of the way they've run the BOP and they've reeled the hypercars right back. Um, in the test day on Sunday, they're only four or five seconds a lap slower. And it's not a, it, it's a three minute 30 lap. So, you know, relatively it's not a huge margin. And those LMP2 cars are so well, developed the Orica with the Gibson engine. They'll just pound around all day and they won't yeah. break. So um, they're in a, yeah, it could be a really interesting battle and you could see a massive upset. Like when the, back in the day when the GT car would win against the prototypes. Crazy, mm. you mentioned the end of an era. I'm presuming that most of the fans of this form of racing are cheering from the rooftop. So because the fact that we're getting a lot of manufacturers coming back into the sport must be a good thing. Oh, 100%. Like sports car racing in five years' time is going, even even closer than that, is going to be incredible on both sides of the ditch because what's going on with, with the way the ACO and IMSA in the States have rewritten their rules and you've got hypercar on one side and you've got GTP on the other, but there'll be a convergence and the cars ideally will manage to race at about the same lap time. Um it's hugely exciting. And and the US way of doing it is also affordable. The mm. hypercar thing is still, you know, it's not quite Formula One budget anymore, but it's pretty sizable. Um, but, you know, you can run a decent IMSA GTP program or LMDH, it is at the moment, for IndyCar money. So it's for what it is and the profile you get to go and win the Rolex 24 or Sebring, it's 
pretty good bang for your buck. So that's why BMW is going in, Lamborghini's going into IMSA. Um, we know about Roger Penske and the Porsches going into both sides of the ditch, but with the same car, with the US model. Yep. Um, and you can bet that Porsche, you know, they'll go there and they will be competitive because that's what Porsche do. They don't tend to lose at Le Mans. So it's hugely exciting. And then you've got Ferrari coming in and Peugeot coming back. Mm. And, you know, the, frac- the fact that this will be the first non-Formula One factory Ferrari racing program in, what, 25 years? Um, that's huge. That's absolutely massive. So, you know, it, it's going to take it back to the Ford v Ferrari days at Le Mans, which is just hugely exciting. So I think it's in a really good place. Manufacturer retention will be the key, but, you know, we can make hay while the sun shines and we're going to get at least five or six incredible years where, you know, there could be 25 outright prototypes contesting Le Mans 24 hour and it could be the most competitive era the race has ever seen. Well, GT racing seems to be coming back into relevance, doesn't it, to the extent that we talk about the relevance of supercar racing now and the you know six-liter V8 supercar engines and you know the relevance of that to what you're allowed to drive or what you want to drive on the street with petrol at $2.20 a litre and all that sort of stuff and, and the like. So GT racing sort of comes back into a bit of relevance because while they're sort of you know big, fast cars, they're not generally tank guzzlers yeah but i think it's aspirational isn't it i've never bought the whole oh it's got to be road relevant argument for motorsport especially touring car racing here in the first place it's it's a show it's a sport like people go and watch big loud v8s racing at bathurst because they can't afford to run them on the road so and it's something aspirational and it's the same for formula one and that's probably more of a showcase gt racing's always been a little bit different in that it's more of a technological showcase, I think, because there's more freedom that the brands can do their own thing. And, um, you know, we saw the Audis with the diesels and the Peugeot, like David Brabham, one with a diesel-powered yeah. Peugeot. And that was before Dieselgate when it was the thing to have in Europe. So, you know, that was a relevant real-world crossover to their motor racing program. So, yeah, I, it's, it's great. I'm happy for sports car racing to be exciting. We just need around here now. And... Um, that COVID, if COVID did one thing, it was it probably put us five years behind getting a WEC round because I guarantee you that was the ultimate plan for having Asian Lamar at the bend, which we saw in 2020, and it was a fabulous event. But it's run by the same people that run the WEC, and the Shahin family don't do things by halves. And the ultimate plan, and and the boss of the World Endurance Championship came to that event. Um, the ultimate plan, I'm sure, I'm convinced, was to end up with a WEC round. And mm. now's the time to get a sports car round because you couldn't end up with 10 manufacturers competing in it. It'll be amazing. Mm. Okay, cool. Who wins? Oh, look, outright, hard to go past the Toyotas, isn't it? But it, the Glickenhaus cars look pretty competitive and they've got good drivers and the Alpine's been fast in WEC. So oh, I'm not going to call it. It's wide open. Too too hard to call. But Penske are running an LMP2 car with um, Philippe Nazar, Dane Cameron, and Emmanuel Collard driving. So they're probably uh, right up there in the outright stakes as well as uh, class contention in their last run before they become a Porsche factory team. Yep, you stole that one from me. (laughs) There's the Penske factor there, isn't it? I mean, Mm. it it doesn't really matter. They'll uh, they'll come good on race day. And I agree with you. Thank you. Whoever you reckon is going to win, I totally agree with that. 
all that research you did researching the uh, the old Australians. Shebex well, that running was the old Australians. It doesn't. It bears no relevance to this year's race, does it? Yeah, sure, sure. And we should yeah. mention, and we'll hear from him later. But Matt Campbell driving with Michael Fassbender. Mm. That's pretty cool. Um, probably not going to win. Let's be honest. But um, what a cool thing for Matty to be drafted into. Um, to be part of that journey that, mm-hmm. that Fassbender has been part on for the last four years. It's fantastic. Yeah. We may have already heard from Matt Campbell. Well, no, we wouldn't have. Because, no, no, that's coming uh, later in yeah, the show. Okay, that's, cool. That's, yeah, we talked about this. I'm getting very confused. You are. Uh, Carry on. I'm not confused about what's happening with wildcards and supercars at the moment. There seems to be a few of those named at, uh, at this time in regards to Bathurst 1000 in October and uh, Craig Lowndes gets himself another cease. What do we think, boys? Interesting. Um, <laughs> is, it, is the sort of cat who, uh, given a third Triple Eight car, the last time he had that, he won. So, <laughs> yeah, uh, true. <laughs> uh, Declan Fraser, um, choice between him and Cameron Hill. Where does Cameron Hill wind up? Are there bigger things in play there for Cameron? Does he wind up a co drive somewhere like a, uh, premier higher and possibly with a view to a seat there next year. I mean, why wasn't he included in that mix? The other thing that it does is it provides some certainty to what the Red Bull Ampole cars are going to look like at Bathurst. We're going to have uh, Garth Tander back with SVG for the fourth time in a row. They've won the race before and no doubt will probably be the absolute red hot raging hot favorite come this year. But Brock Feeney's going to have Jamie Wincup, the goat's coming back for another tilt. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how that one all pans out as well. But uh, in wildcard land, not only is it a triple eight car, there's of course the Erebus car, the boost mobile entry for Greg Murphy and Richie Stanaway that was deferred from last year and the borders didn't let it happen. And there's going to be a Mustang there as well, at least of the things that we've heard announced to date with um, Anderson Motorsport, the local Bathurst team, mm. uh, running a, a proper privateer entry there. So that's uh, going to be something a bit interesting. I, it's a cool old school Bathurst story. And mm. and this was the year it was going to happen because the, the chance of there being a wild card in 23 is pretty limited, isn't it? Like they're, they're, everyone's going to have to thrash to get 25 supercar, Gen 3 supercars built for the championship proper next year. So wild cards are going to be the last thing on anybody's mind in throwing together other cars. So 28 cars by the looks of it this year, which is a good grid. Not that I think it was bad at 25, but um, yeah, it's cool. But and I like that they all sort of mean something as well. So you've got Lowndes and a young gun in one, and then you've got one of the greats in Greg Murphy and one of the more what are you, a controversial talking point, you know, out there drivers in Richie Stanaway and another, and then you've got a Bathurst local in a third one. So each of the wild cards has got a really good story. Well, I think that's that's what a wild card should have. It shouldn't just be a car for the sake of being a car in the race. If we're going to stray away from having just the the core supercars grid and the, the core franchises that are part of it, let's make sure that they all mean actually mean something and have a role, and I think that's pretty cool. I think the other interesting announcement in the last couple of days is the announcement that uh, Jamie Winkup is going to be partnering up with Brock Feeney in that car for Bathurst. Uh, that's a lot of experience going into that car for Brock. It is, but it's with a driver who won't have driven a supercar outside of a ride day since, what, Bathurst last year? Yeah. Mm. So there's something to be said for for miles and... But hang on, but, but, but that 
that goes to most supercar co-drivers. Yeah, most but, of them won't like, have had too much time. If you follow Greg Murphy's Instagram, he's in a race car at Hampton Downs every other week, and Lounsey did the 12-hour, and he did Carrera Cup last year, and Declan Fraser's in Super 2, and Mike Anderson's in Super 3, and you know whoever his co-driver is is probably in that too. Um, so... You know, Jamie's yes, he's the goat, but he's going to be pretty, pretty raw alongside a rookie who's admittedly been there before. But yeah, it's it's a big ask for both of them to get up to speed, and in my mind, it makes that team even more centric on SVG and Garth Tander to land a big result because um, it just opens up some cracks, I think, in the other cars to um, to perform across the course and be there on lap one sixty one and and be fast enough to be in the mix. So where do we see the the Lounge wildcard in the finish of this? Because the, the history of wildcards at Bathurst, they've been going back to was it about 2009, mm-hmm. 2008, when we started the, the current uh, wildcard program. Uh, the best ever effort was in 2013 with the triple eight third car with the um, Matthias Ekstrom and um, Prio entry, which frankly, it led quite late in the race it led for 17 laps Mm. and uh they just sort of dipped out in the fuel strategy there but ludo had that thing trimmed out ridiculously and it was a rocket ship in a straight line and they wound up finishing 10th still after leading late like it's the sort of team that has the resources that can make things happen it's scandalous that no one has brought matthias ekstrom back to have another crack at that race like he was just prio's very good we know that but ekstrom was Amazing. We need more Scandinavian exploits at Mount Panorama, I think. Having watched the likes of Tony Vlander and Mika Salo in the 12 hour, I want I want to see Ekstrom in a supercar. I want to see Tony Vlander in a supercar as well. But yeah, that was huge. Massive performance. Yeah. So where do they stand? I honestly don't know. Like safe pair of hands in Craig. You couldn't ask for a better, more reliable pair of hands. Who qualifies out of the two? Uh, that that for me will be the strange one, and it could be Declan for for you know being in the heat of Super Two battle, but then he's going to have to deal with jumping across platforms from one car to another that weekend as well. So there'll be that little distraction. Um, do you know how I reckon their weekend goes this far out? I reckon they qualify maybe fifteenth. No way they make the ten, but they pound around all day and will look up at the leaderboard with an hour to go, and old mate CL will jump in and they'll be seventh or eighth and then you know by by the end they'll undoubtedly end up near a podium finish because that's what craig does at that place and i think still has the capability to do that as well no very much not fanciful that explanation that uh, was pretty much spot on i would have thought our uh, best wild cards that we've had over time oh it's the one that mark mentioned before i think that, that yeah. it was run by the best team in the sport well back. 10 years ago too, I think, 2013, wasn't it? It was, yep, yep. Two incredible internationally credentialed drivers, uh, gun strategist calling the shots. Everything came up trumps. As Mark said, a very trimmed-out race car. But it's got to be the fastest supercar down Conrad that's ever been, surely, at least in the current era. <laughs> has to be. I don't know. But How can you go past the Harvey Norman Supergirls? Well, I was going to say they would have to be the most publicised. Well, you did say best. Kind of, yeah. My word, i tell you what. I looked after them the second year that they ran with the Nissan and I've experienced some circuses in my time, but the amount of effort those girls had to put into the PR side when they weren't allowed to concentrate on driving race cars or setting up for the weekend was ridiculous. Like publicity for the event, 
the biggest tick you could possibly imagine because they were just being pulled mm-hmm. from pillar to post from Tuesday race week up until after the finish. It was amazing. And then Dave Reynolds did nothing to dampen that, did he? No, well, that was all part of it, wasn't it? Really? Oh, I would have thought so. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> How about um, Mark? Do you know anything? Uh, now, t- time has passed, and if you know anything about what may have happened there, you, you can bring it out now. Statue of limitations. I don't gone. think it has. What's that? That's it. What are you going to talk about? Dave Reynolds and the pussy wagon comment. Was that something that was set up? No, or did it? Just, no, that was just. It was just talking was about just what the, the boys in the workshop called that entry. Mm back in the workshop and he blurted out in the presser and mm. um, they had to be seen to be doing the right thing because all the head honchos of Harvey Norman were there and yeah. they wheeled out a fine and Dave's inside Reynolds, words became yeah. outside words for a moment when they yeah. shouldn't have. Yeah. yeah. In a monologue okay. escaped. Okay. Yeah. What about um, the old uh, supercar showdown? Well, what was that? They had a couple entries there with Shannon's uh, supercar showdown. Well, Cam that's Waters. where Cameron Waters came to prominence. Maybe not because of his pace, but because of his 360 degree spin at McPhilmy Park. So, was that the year he was with Grant Dedia? It was. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Hey, here's another one Andre Heimgartner in 2014. Was that with the Ann Pedersen car? super black car the year Correct. before they mm-hmm. became a full time thing? Correct. IndyCar drivers. Napa car that bought Napa into yeah, the Rossi. sport. They've since become a bit of a player from a sponsorship point of view. So Alex Rossi and uh, James Hinchcliffe. So Rossi spinning late in that race mm. bought out that very, probably the most famous safety car in Bathurst history now. Well, and that same yeah. race, there was also the Kostecki wildcard yep. as well, Brady and Jake. And I mean, they've now graduated to the main game. Yep. What were they, 15 years old back then? <laughs> Uh, Seems like ages younger. ago. Yeah, well, it feels like younger, doesn't it? There, there's <laughs> another one that did really well was Aaron and Drew Russell back mm. in 2015. They did a really stout job. They sort of flew under the radar all week and, and finished mid-pack, but they showed some pretty good potential there. Two very good drivers, those two. Both massively underrated. They did a really good job at the six hour this year as well, I thought. And the most recent one was GRM who dusted off one of their ZBs uh, to run. And it was quite controversial, wasn't it? They ended up running Tyler Everingham and Jaden Ojeda, who crashed a couple of times. But um, it was controversial because of the Nathan Hearn super license dispute, Mm. because Hearn was going to drive that car, but couldn't get enough super license points um, to be allowed to do it. So which was the whole reason he went and did Trans Am last year was to win everything and get the points to do it, which he now has. Ironically, hasn't got a hasn't got an enduro co-drive out of it. But uh, yeah, I, interesting. Very there were a couple other Barrys back in the early days of the program. Remember the Sam Walters Taz Douglas car, the Greg Murphy Racing entry yes. that was fenced by Frosty going up Mountain Straight. Yes, I do. Remember Had a that. huge Barry. And that same year was two thousand nine. Then there was the Jesus All About Life entry that spent most of the week hung in a fence. Yep. There was yep. an old triple eight car. Then 2010, uh, Rod Salmon had an entry there, another Greg Murphy car, but um, he wound up yonking himself out of the seat there because he wasn't fast enough. And he also hit a few things. Was so, Jeff Emery driving that car? Yeah, it was Emery and Zakanovic. Zakanovic, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Marcus got the call up. Yeah. It's good. Good times. I like it. And, and, and it does... It does carry some of that old Bathurst privateer sort of tradition into the modern era of the 1000. I don't think it's necessary. I don't think it detracts. I don't think it adds an enormous amount to the race. I don't think it detracts from it either. But uh, it's nice to have those additional little subplots throughout the grid. 
to just to add to the Bathurst storytelling. We've had some big names come down as co-drivers as well for the Bathurst 1000, uh, not talking about wild cards here, but who is the person who disappointed the most? Oh, Jacques Villeneuve? Uh, did he do the 1000? No, did he, he was just a, he was a, a seat filler in Townsville and QR. Oh, yeah, okay. When Murph was sidelined. Yeah. The biggest disappointment of a co-driver. So he, he so he wasn't down here when we had all the international co-drivers. He did oh, the yeah. he yeah, did yeah. the the Gold Coast, but that was only Gold Coast. That well, he did he definitely did the Gold Coast. There's no doubt about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he, he did everything. <laughs> oh dear, good point. Well, I, mate. I don't I don't think that was fair. That's not a fair real indication of how good a lot of those people were, or how much of a stuff they really gave about what they were doing. No. Yeah. No, yeah. and and it's it is unfair. You're right to the extent that we're, they're putting being put into a, one of the greatest tracks in the world mm. into a car that's totally foreign to them. Mm. I don't yeah, know what you expect. A out track of. where the the fast line is in the fence, and correct. You know, you're either really in the fence or you're not in the fence and going slowly. So yeah, what about best co-drivers that aren't? Supercar legend. So, okay. So, right now, Garth Tander is clearly the best co-driver you could possibly have, right? If you're Shane Van Gisbergen, but yeah. but best non-supercar co-driver that's come in. I, I would make, given it's Le Mans week, I would make an argument that the best co-driver that's ever come to race at Bathurst from overseas, especially, is Jackie X, who mm-hmm. was part of that famous Ford One Two in '77 with Alan Moffat. But he came to Bathurst as a three-time Le Mans winner and as a, I think, six-time Grand Prix winner with Ferrari already at that point in his career. So it's hard to get more credentialed drivers than the great Belgian uh, who won the race, of course, with Alan in that famous 1-2 finish in the um, the Falcon XC hardtops. You've bowled a wide there, Richard. You're missing the obvious one. What's that? Warren Luff. Warren Luff. <laughs> See, I just tend to think of him as a full-time driver because he is omnipresent, is <laughs> the greatest hair in he, motorsport. He's going to finish third this year. I don't know how, but he's already won, finished he's third. The, it doesn't matter who he's with. He's the Sterling Moss of Bathurst, isn't he? Although, is that Glenn no, Seaton? You don't want to be you don't want to be Sterling Moss at Bathurst. <laughs> no, they went badly, didn't it? <laughs> no, well, Luffy, no, no, you're right. Very different because Luffy actually gets beyond lap one. <laughs> Well, Luffy uh, ends up on the podium, doesn't he? More times than not. More often than not. Most of the time, yeah. His track record there is just ridiculous. We had, we had Warren on the show earlier this year. I recommend yeah, you yeah. go back into the archives and um, listen to it because Luffy's always a very engaging chat uh, and always great fun to have on the show. But So this, um, this is him back to 2012. You Googled it quicker seventh, than I did. Second, second. <laughs> Non-finish in 16 when uh, he got fenced with that McLaughlin mess at the end. Mm. Uh, third, did not start when Garth got fenced in practice. <laughs> third, third. It's just bonkers. <laughs> He's due a second again, isn't he? Yeah, just really to is. even up the seconds and thirds. Yeah. Like, like, they're, they're, I don't know anyone in the paddock that would begrudge a Warren Luff-Bathurst victory. No. No. No one. Like, finished fifth last year with Brycey Forward, who's having a yeah. shocking time at Walkinshaw. But still managed to finish, drag the thing into the top five. Just, just remarkable. It's worth noting that his Bathurst twelve-hour uh, results include a second and a third, but no win either. <laughs> Can you put Thomas Mazira in that group of famous yeah. Bathurst co-drivers? 
Yeah, but he he was a co-driver before he became a famous touring car driver. Really? He won Bathurst first and then he was a you mm. know, the Holden Racing Team driver. But yeah, probably. Hey, he he raced at Lamar. He I, I heard I heard recently. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Who wrote that part of the script, Mark? Was that you? <laughs> it must or? have been me, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Very good. No, mm. like it. I like the wild cards. Uh good to see them being announced nice and early and just thank God they can actually happen this year, right? Yeah, exactly. Wild cards in the Indy 500 have been plenty as well, but that was a couple of weeks ago, so we won't cover that off now, but we will cover off Detroit. Yes. Willpower. Willpower. How's his stats? Yeah. Isn't he ridiculous? It is. Like, all time, he is top five. Yeah. He is one crazy, isn't it? The fifth most IndyCar races of any driver in the history of the sport. He's one win behind Michael Andretti, who's one of the greats of IndyCar racing of all time. He's one, he's this is the stat that gets me. He has won a race for 16 consecutive seasons in top level US motorsport. That is utterly astonishing yeah. to have that kind of career longevity. I mean, he is one of the greats and you know, he probably should have four championships. The Indy 500 win was the Indy 500 win. He should have won the title more than he's won it, but he's an yeah. IndyCar champion, a 500 winner. His stats are phenomenal. And the fact he's still going at 41 and is still as absolutely good as mm. Pato O'Ward or Marcus Ericsson or any of these, Colton Herder, any of these young guns coming up through IndyCar, they're all being heralded as the next generation of the sport. And they are. But Will Power's there and he's back in front of the championship and um, still winning races. And this time, not doing it from pole. He's doing it from, what, 10th on the grid? 15th, I think it was. And strategy. Like, it was just mm. such a wild strategy play there towards the end, and he just held on. Lucky that the race didn't go a couple laps longer than it did. But, like, I remember when I was a kid working for Auto Action, writing his state-level Formula Ford reports. And yeah. then the the Honda Young Guns on the Gold Coast when he took it serious. Like, yep. he was a serious race car driver. A few of the guys were out there to see how much damage they could inflict on an Honda Integra. But uh, <laughs> Will was serious about it. He wanted to win the prize. And mm. it's it's amazing. And he's gotten there on talent. Like, yeah, it's not like he had the rich father who bankrolled him through international motorsport. Like, he had some backers behind him, but they backed him because he was good. Mm. I mean, you look at what he did in A1GP and then the whole story. It's been banged out so many times. But, you know, look at that podium on the weekend. Will Power one, Scott Dixon three. Yeah, yeah. Combined yeah, age, what eighty four? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's just so good. Well, we see we see him as that. Do the Americans see him as that as well? One of the greatest ever? Oh, uh, probably not because he's not a Yank. But yeah, that's what I thought. He's very highly respected. There's yeah. no doubt that everyone knows he's a fierce racing car driver and one of the best indie car drivers for sure. Roger, Roger Penske likes winners, doesn't he? It, right, yeah, he does yeah. absolutely. And you know, he's driven for Roger now since two thousand and what nine. Basically, when he was drafted in for Elio with the tax evasion thing and um, then broke his back and Roger stuck with him and he's rewarded him with just consistent success. Mm. So, and, and Roger's got all three drivers in victory lane this year. Yes, exactly right. Only team to do so. Yeah, big, big. I, I, it would be so good for Will to win that championship this year. It's going to be massively tough to do so. But there's some tracks coming up, like Road America next. Like yeah. that, that joint is made for willpower. So, um, yeah, uh, it, it would such be it'd be an amazing story. Uh, it would, you know, it wouldn't surprise me that if he wins it this year, he might just go. Do you know what? That's it. I'm done. I don't know why I feel that, but 
Yeah, well, what else has he got to prove? For sure. Wow. Exactly. Mm. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm the same age as him, and if it hurts as much to get up in the morning, uh, oh yeah, I know. You'd probably quit as soon as you <laughs> can. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Scotty probably needs a road America just to get his confidence back. Yeah, yeah, he's had a, a rough run, but he's safe. He, he won a race. That's all that matters this year. Yep. He, he ticked that box. So um, the consistency was always going to be a, a challenge, I think, in his sophomore season. But, um, but he's still it, fast, it, qualified well. He'll be all right. Yeah, I mean, he got sort of robbed in qualifying there. If he yes. wound up qualifying a bit further forward, then he wouldn't have been in that mix where uh, there was a bit of a dog's breakfast back there and he wound up firing it up the escape road. But he, he'll be fine. And uh, good to see NASCAR had a uh, nice quick race. For a change, Mark? Yeah, it was lucky that they were able to make the start of it after yeah. the last one only just finished. <laughs> um, good to see them at Saint, in St. Louis at the old gateway there, the old IndyCar track. It's, it's a cool track. I like mm. it. It's a bit different. It's, uh, you know, different corners on each end of the circuit and it raced really well for an intermediate track. Again, this package everywhere outside of Texas, it's been racing really well. Uh, Joe Logano went up getting another win. So he's had a couple for the season. So he's uh, uh, next gen Joe. He's doing the deal there for Penske. There you go. We're going back to the Lamar tips. Penske having yeah. had yeah. a big, two big wins in the weekend. <laughs> well, why don't I keep winning this weekend? Yes. Um, few good stories in the race. Ross Chastain bashed into everything, which was fantastic. And then the retaliation and the tiggy and the stupidity that followed that was uh, worth watching. I'm sure there'll be a highlight reel of that on, YouTube somewhere, but uh, where's Chastain's, that radioactive? Oh, dude, that's going to be some yeah. meltdowns like that. <laughs> but uh, he came out and owned it like he's this year, he has bashed into everything and everyone. Like to get his first win at Coda, he smashed everyone off the track and he was mm. sort of within his rights to do it. But uh, he banged into um, oh, the, the nine and the 11 this last weekend, and they all sort of ganged up on him and tried to put him in the fence, which was uh, entertaining. But they're off <laughs> to uh. Sonoma this weekend, so back on the road course. So there's uh, plenty of opportunities to square up with all your friends there. What time does that mm. race start, Mark? Is that in the TRT TV guide? Sure, it is five thirty in the morning on Monday. On Monday morning, so Reasonable the race start about six a.m. But that mm. comes. Oh yeah, no, the F1 race is nice and early this week, isn't it? Yes, it is. Baku, Azerbaijan, one always one of the best Grand Prix of the year. Yes, uh, nine o'clock Eastern start. Yay! Eight thirty <laughs> <laughs> if you live in the right part of the country in South Australia. How good? Prime time. It's well, and the best thing is it'll finish about an hour before the twenty-four hour finishes, so you'd be able to flick oh. over from that. We don't need to hear the waffle at the end of the Grand Prix and go straight to. Uh, Hopefully a dramatic oh, finish in the 24-hour. Ted's waffle will keep going at 2 a.m., though. I guarantee it. <laughs> True. It's better watched mm. it 30 times. Yeah. Uh, lovely, boys. Well done. Enjoy Le Mans and the 24 hours off. Big weekend. Another big weekend in motorsport. They seem to be uh, coming thick and fast at the moment. Uh, just so we should get this in as well, by the way, uh, mm. just so people don't accuse us of having missed a news story. Uh, Phillip Island Shannon's Motorsport Australia Championships round has been cancelled. It was due to happen the week after Darwin. So unlucky for the Victorian fans, uh, unlucky for the Penguins, lucky for those of us that didn't want to freeze. But anyway, uh, any trip is, there a, reason? is a good one. Um, basically cancelled due to lack of interest. Okay. Um, a couple of categories pulled the pin and as a result, the event will no longer go ahead, which is a shame. Mm. And uh, it hurts a couple of the national categories that were planning to still go there, including Porsche Michelin Sprint Challenge. So uh, that's a bit frustrating, but um, 
we needed to say that at the very least to make sure that people know that we do actually get press releases. Look, yeah, I, so I'll, sorry, I, I, sorry, I spent my weekend one day at the snow and the other day at the speedway and the speedway was much colder. So it was probably uh, a wise decision for <laughs> yes. the health of anyone who planned to go to Phillip Island. Mm. Yeah. And I'll be off to uh, Winton this weekend for a bit of AMRS. Oh yeah. Excellent. Sunday. Yeah. yeah. Very, Very much nice. looking forward to that. Right near the snowfields. <laughs> Put some antifreeze in your car there. Yeah. And yourself. Uh, good idea. <laughs> good idea. All right, boys, uh, have a great one. We'll talk next week. Thanks. Uh, coming up next, we talk to Matt Campbell ahead of his return to the Mall 24 Hour this weekend. You're listening to the latest from around the motorsport world. On the grid. Well, Matt Campbell, our most recent Le Mans 24-hour winner, joins us. Matt, thanks very much. We're speaking to you from your accommodation at the racetrack. You stay there. Can you believe that you get to play at that amazing playground in this still early stage of your career? Yeah, I mean, uh, quite fortunate. You know, it, it's pretty crazy to think as well that this will be my fifth consecutive Lamar as well. And, uh, you know, had quite a good run here in the last five years as well. Uh, top five finish every time. So it's uh, it's been very kind to me. And, uh, you know, hopefully this year we can uh, have some luck on our side as well. But, uh, yeah, just really happy to be back again with Proton. Obviously a bit different uh, program compared to last year. So I'm uh, doing a full season with them and just a one-off for, for the WEC race here uh, at Le Mans. So uh, nice to be back and, and obviously just to be able to do Le Mans again for the fifth consecutive time. Take me back to your first visit, which was a very successful one uh, to Le Mans. But what, what was the first sort of thought when you drove out for the first time in the Porsche and, and got to experience the track? Yeah, I mean, like you say, it was quite special the first time, obviously winning winning on debut as well uh, in a brand new uh, RSR, the 17th car. And uh, yeah, it was phenomenal. I mean, the weekend was just so magical. I mean, basically from from practice, we were really fast from the outset. Uh, qualifying went well. And then uh, as soon as we got in the race, I think already by about uh, four hours in, we had about two minute lead. You know, obviously a Lamoille, you need a lot of luck early on in the race to be able to get an advantage with uh, the safety cars and, and slow zones and everything like that. Because if you get just one wrong slow zone, you can lose up to 60 or 70 seconds, depending on which one it is. So the race ran really smoothly. And uh, yeah, it was a phenomenal day. Day I'll never forget, that's for sure. Uh, winning here. And uh, we've been a close couple other times, but uh, for sure, the the first one and, and, and debut was the most special. What's the track like to drive? You, you've driven some incredible racetracks in your life. And, and early, you made your mark at, at Mount Panorama in the 12 hours, where a lot of people went, oh, gee, this guy can drive. What's Le Mans like and how does it compare to some of the other amazing racetracks you've been fortunate enough to visit? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, like I said, I've been fortunate to drive on many racetracks around the world now, tick a, a lot off the, the bucket list. But Le Mans is something so different about it, which you don't get anywhere else in the world. Uh, you know, obviously the, the straights here are so long and, and everything like that, but it's it's really hard to put into words. It's just so different anywhere else. Like it's like a, a Bathurst, Norse life, uh, and then you've got Le Mans. Mm. You know, for me, these three are, are the most extreme, so far different anywhere else in the world. Whereas when you go to places like Spa or Laguna Seca or something, you know, it feels like any other racetrack to me. Whereas when you come to these places, it really has something special and, and there's something so unique about it. You know, as soon as you start to arrive at the circuit, you see the team, you see the garages and everything, you know, it's a big race and um, yeah, you're in for a, for a big week, but uh, yeah, it's always special. What's the key to a good lap at the Le Mans 24 hour? Good lap. Um, I mean, you just need a good car, to be fair. Mm. Um, 
you know, especially in the race. Like last year, we, we struggled quite a lot through practice and, and qualifying, for example. I think we were actually one of the slowest Porsches in qualifying, which was, uh, yeah, not what we were used to. I mean, in the past three years, I think we qualified on a front row every time. And then uh, last year, it was just struggle street. And then we jumped into the race and we had a, a fantastic race car. Still not necessarily the best outright speed, but as an overall package, we were still one of the strongest. We did no mistakes. And in the end, we, we came from being the slowest Porsche to being uh, the furthest Porsche up the grid uh, by end of end of Sunday. So, uh, you know, to have a fast car here, for sure, it needs to be good on the straights and sucking well, um, you know, getting low. There's a couple of new surfaces this year in the, on entry to the first mile sun chicane, which should be a little bit interesting as there's always a, a couple of bumps there, which can affect the the sucking of the car uh, and a little bit of aero bouncing. So that'll be interesting to see how it goes. And then obviously for me, the last sector is quite critical. Uh, entry to Porsche curves, four chicanes, everything like this. Curb riding is a big thing, but also a uh, good aero balance. So it's always, always very, very critical in them sections. Uh, and that's where a lot of lap time is either gained or lost. And, and that was definitely the case for us last year. So definitely need to be fast on the straights, which, you know, sounds easy enough but it's actually quite difficult to be able to yeah. get it where you want to and and then obviously in the high speed stuff which is uh you know where, where so much can be gained or lost there's a rhythm to 24-hour races that are very different to any other motor race you do but there's not many of them on the calendar so how quickly do you find you adapt to that cycle and the ability to sleep during a race and your hydration and things like that how how do you tune yourself up for the, the 24-hour challenge compared to a 12 or a, a shorter race like you're doing in IMSA? Yeah, um, it sounds quite bad to say, but for me, the the 20 the Lamar race is actually the easiest of, of all the races we do all year. Um, right. Even compared to maybe Petite, which is only a 10-hour or something like that, because you know here there's so many long straights, you get so much rest. For sure, the busiest part of the track is around Porsche curves and in Forge canes and everything like this. Uh, but physically, it's it's not that demanding, you know. Of course, when it can be very hot here at times, you know, can take it out of you a little bit. But for me, you know, races like Nurburg Twenty Four or something that's that's much more extreme. For sure, here, especially being in M category, you do a lot of driving. I could do up to nine or ten hours. Um, but physically, this race is actually not not so much demanding, especially in the in the GT. So um, I, I find it quite easy. Uh, also, even with sleep pattern, you know. Usually, you always do a double uh, every driver, so you never single or anything like that. So minimum, you're always going to get about three hours sleep before you have to be back in the box. Um, but for me, you know, if I get two hours sleep in the in the entire twenty four, I'm doing well. So uh, mm. yeah, everyone's different when it comes to that. Like some people just like a lot more sleep, but certainly I remember my first twenty four here is I think my only um, second time doing a twenty four hour race, and I think maybe I've got ten minutes of sleep. Wow. Whereas now, you know, you're much more relaxed, you know what to expect and, you know, you can go to a physio, you can relax and, you know, get a little bit of rest. So it's, it's not so bad. You're spending a lot of your year in the WeatherTech Championship in the States in, in IMSA competition. But the, the thing that always surprises people, I think, is the different styles between IMSA and WEC, for example. It's actually quite different motor racing although the the outcomes are very similar what what's the biggest difference you find between jumping between imsa racing in the states and and the wac stuff in europe yeah i think uh i mean first obviously i've done lamar or not lamar i should say WEC for the past four years and you know it's been a great experience obviously it was 
definitely jumping into the deep end straight out of the cup uh, in, into WEC. But, uh, you know, I've been lucky enough to gain a little bit of experience over the last couple of years in IMSA with a couple of one-off races or, or doing the endurance races or something that's a factory. Mm. So that's been really, really good for me. But uh, I must say, I absolutely love racing in IMSA and, and a little bit more than, than what I have done in WEC. You know, it's proper old-school racing. You've got old-school tracks. Um, you know, and there's also a little bit more strategy involved, which is nice. You know, you can do two-stop racing, do a three-stop race, you can do a little bit of fuel saving. So even necessarily, let's say, BAPs and in the perfect window, you don't have the fastest car, you can still always get a good result. And I think that's really, really cool. Whereas, you know, in WEC sometimes, you can't really be so creative with strategy or anything. Uh, and I mean, the tracks are phenomenal, you know, proper old school tracks, you know, it, it's like for me, Aussie tracks, as soon as you make a mistake, you know, you've usually got to pay a price for it. So, uh, yeah, it's quite different, but I uh, really enjoy my time in, in US and the championship and, uh, yeah, it's proper old school racing and, and I, I'm really, uh, having a lot of fun this year. You know, it's been a dream of mine and matures to be able to do a full season and now to be finally there, it's, uh, yeah, it's fantastic. And obviously it's going really, really well for us. So, uh, hopefully we can continue this way throughout the remainder of the year. GT racing is great and, and GTE is a very competitive class and the AM class in particular is always sensationally close, but surely you've got one eye on what's going on with Porsche, a brand that you've been associated with since day dot and what's going on with Roger Penske and the brand in the future. So do you have an eye on that? Do you, do you feel, pressure is the wrong word, but do you feel like there's an eye over all of the Porsche drivers around about the makeup of both the IMSA and WEC prototype programs when Porsche comes back into the top class of sports car racing? Yeah, I mean, def definitely got an eye on and, and so does Porsche and all of us within uh, the Porsche driver group. Um, you know, all of us factory drivers, obviously, we would love to, to be in that position to be able to go back to top level prototype racing and for me to be able to get such an opportunity um you know it was always a dream especially when i joined porsche at the time i was still in lp1 and you saw the likes of el bamba obviously coming up through the pyramid uh and, and for myself that was you know that's sort of the last uh well let's say the top of the pyramid for me and the last one i want to tick off you know we've uh, had a fantastic progression throughout my career and, and especially once we joined porsche and and for me, that's where I would love to be uh, at some point one day and, and get to top-level prototype. Uh, going for overall victories at uh, such races with Porsche, you know, that's an absolute dream. So, uh, yeah, have to wait and see. But, you know, for sure, you know, that's what I'm, what I'm looking for. And, and the potential is so cool that you could do Daytona 24 in a prototype, Sebring, Petite, of course, but then th there's also the opportunity that you could float over to Europe and do you know, Spa and, of course, Le Mans 24-hour and have a crack at an outright win. So I'm sure there's a, a lot of lure there. Tell us about your campaign this year with Proton. Cool to be back with that team, but a couple of different co-drivers this year. Yeah, quite a lot different to, to what I'm used to. You know, same team, same environment, all the same people, but different car this year. So obviously in the past four years, we've been with Christian Reed, a couple of different silver drivers over the last couple of years with Ricardo Pera and also Julian Enlauer. But uh, this time... <clears throat> <clears throat> Sorry, um, joining uh, Michael Fassbender and Zachary Robichaud. Mm. So obviously, I'm quite lucky. I, I knew Zach from the couple of outings I've done with Faf over the last couple of years, and and obviously for Michael, um, you know, this has been a, a long four years to be able to get to this point to be able to do Le Mans. Um, you know, obviously it's been well documented with the YouTube series and everything like that. And and for him, you know, obviously it's uh, this is his pinnacle. You know, this is what he's worked for for the last four years with Porsche. Getting to this point, obviously competing in, um, I believe it was uh, Porsche Cup Deutschland, 
and then obviously in Elamets for the last couple of years. So uh, he's had a lot of progression. He's improved a lot. And, uh, you know, obviously for me, having the experience over the last four years is just trying to help uh, Zach, but also mainly um, Michael get up to speed and, uh, you know, try and get to the get to the finish line on Sunday. That's our ultimate goal. And, you know, it's fantastic working with the guys. Um, you know, I've been able to spend a little bit of time with them already and uh, you know, it's very laid back, relaxed. And, uh, you know, I'm sure that will change a little bit next week when we get close to the race. But everything's been going really well. We've been getting along and having a lot of fun at the same time. Matty, I've known you since you were a baby driving Sprint Challenge in an old 997 Cup car here. Is it as surreal to you as it is to me that you are the senior driver in a team at Le Mans now? That you are the, you're the pro, you're the guy coaching to drivers that are trying to get up to speed at Le Mans. Is that as crazy for you as it sounds to me as well? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, it's crazy to think that this is my fifth Le Mans uh, mm. already. So it's, uh, sorry. <laughs> um, yeah, it's crazy to think that it's the fifth one already. And, you know, to be in such a position, you know, I've already had so much experience over the last four years and, and hopefully I can try and give as much back to Michael and, and Zach as possible. So, this is the goal. This is why I'm here. And hopefully I can uh, get them up to speed as quickly as possible, especially Michael and keep him relaxed and getting comfortable with the circuit because, you know, this is so different to anywhere else in the world and it takes a little bit of time. So, uh, yeah, looking forward to it um, and just here to have a lot of fun with, with them too. Some of your teammates just uh, getting into the middle of the interview there. I like it. Last one. Uh, what's a realistic result? I mean, is a class win still on the table despite everything you've just said or are your motivations and objectives a little bit tempered, I suppose, with, with a couple of rookie drivers and, and less experienced drivers coming into the team? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, the biggest thing for us, we've got to be realistic. Um, you know, we want to get to the end of the race. That's our main goal and number one priority um, to be able to get to the end. Obviously, we've done, especially Michael has done such a, a huge amount of work to be able to get to this point. And, and obviously, he wants to see that finish line on, on Sunday next week. So that's priority number one. And then obviously result is number two. You know, obviously we would love to go go for the victory, but there's some really fast driver lineups this year in GTM as it has been in the last uh, three or four years. So that's going to be a real big challenge and tough. Uh, but number one, get to the end and then we, we see how we are. You know, you never know if this race what can happen. And uh, yeah, we just hopefully get a good start, get into rhythm and then see how things progress. You know, anything can happen at this race and uh, a lot of luck needs to be on your side as well. Mate, we love that you're still flying the Aussie flag. You're doing an awesome job. We're all very, very pleased to see what you're achieving over there. Best wishes for it. We'll all be following the 24-hour very closely here down under, and I hope you have a good weekend. Yeah, thank you very much, mate. Good to see you. Matt Campbell joining us here on The Grid. And finally, here's the Race Talk's own Dale Rogers with his own personal Le Mans 24 experience. The Le Mans 24-hour can be very hard to describe. Whilst many of us have seen video, live TV or in-car footage, it's not until you set foot into the Lasarth circuit that the enormity of the event and the circuit itself hits you. The track measures some 13.6 k's. A lot of it is inaccessible to the public, but the areas that are are simply breathtaking. And this circuit is fast. It's damn fast. The quickest that was recorded during qualifying by Kumi Kobayashi in 2017 from behind the wheel of the Toyota Hybrid. Kobayashi managed to lap the circuit in just under 3 minutes 15 at an average speed of almost 157 miles an hour. But my visit was in 2008, the era of the LMP1 entries of the Audi R10 TDI and the Peugeot 908 HDI, three each of the main contenders, 
bolstering the LMP1 class with 16 normally aspirated V8s from the likes of Lola, Courage and Pescarolo, and a further 10 LMP2 cars. In this era, a huge number of the 55 entries were indeed prototypes across the two classes. Of interesting note were two entries that were rejected for the 2008 event by the ACO from Team Penske, who had submitted their ALMS-winning Porsche RS Spider Evos. The French have very strict criteria to knock back the captain. The GT1 and GT2 classes, as they were known then, were dominated by the ubiquitous yellow Chevy Corvettes, the Ferraris, Porsche, Aston Martins, and little has changed in this class over 14 years with all those marks still running. Prior to the 3pm Saturday race start, I was on the grid with Alex Davidson, who was driving the factory-assisted Team Felbermeyer Proton Porsche 911 GT3, his father Richard and wife Fiona. We were just taking in all the pageantry and the awesome build-up of this race. The 55 cars sit at 45 degrees in the main straight with all the crews lined up prior to the start. The drivers, of course, no longer run across the start-finish straight to jump into their cars and blast off, but you just get a sense of history and energy that this race exudes. And the crowd... Reportedly 245,000 people in 2008, and they all find their own enclaves around the track. The Dutch, the English, the Italians, and of course the French. It's a remarkable Eurocentric event for a visitor from Aussie. After watching hours of the race from Le Mans Club facility, night time began to fall and the spectacle again changed. The iconic Ferris wheel and the parties began at every corner. A trip to Anage was the first after-dusk journey. Watching the cars fire down through Indianapolis and into the slow Arnage corner is amazing, and the speed of the oh-so-quiet diesel turbo V12s of that era as they lap the GT cars is just draw-dropping. Confidence in your action at Le Mans is indeed needed in spades. Around 4am on, on Sunday morning, Richard Davison and a friendly USA fan we'd picked up and I headed off to the Porsche curves. At the Porsche curves, it was the Dutch. Hundreds of spectators with Dutch flags, campfires and the smell of sausages mixed with plenty of Heineken ensured you knew where you were. The English and French, of course, also have their own areas spattered around the, the track at Lesarth. As you're watching in awe of the mix of LMP1 and 2 cars and the slower GT cars through the Porsche curve section, the rain started. One of the things our great mate, Andrew, photographer Andrew Hall, had said is to make sure you have your camera out for the sunrise. Well... If grey rain and low cloud is anyone else's idea of, of a brilliant sunrise at, at Le Mans, it wasn't mine. The rain stayed for much of Sunday morning and into the early afternoon, but it was an absolutely gripping battle between the Audi of Alan McNish and the Peugeot of Nicholas Minassian. Was simply, it really was quite enthralling. The Audi closed down at nearly eight seconds a lap towards the end to lead the Peugeot and finally won by just over four minutes. It all came down to the very, very last pit stop. An epic battle, an epic race on a truly fabulous racetrack. It is a must for any race fan.